Are you wanting to live a life with more clarity and happiness? I'm Tammy Hill, a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified sex educator, wife, mother, and grandmother. I am also an optimist. I strive to live my life on purpose, with purpose. I'm here to inspire people to do the things that inspire them. Live Your Why means to align your core values with the way you want to spend your time. Living My Why includes bridging the gap of understanding sex as both a sacred marital act and as pleasurable, passionate energy that adds zest and happiness to life. I want you to embrace sexual joy without shame. Integrating your sexual nature for goodness will bring you strength, joy, and peace. Join me this season for the Live Your Why podcast, and together we can live a life full of passion and purpose. Pleasure is often a concept that we are uncomfortable with. Particularly women feel uncomfortable with the idea that they deserve pleasure. They feel they have to earn pleasure or be worthy of pleasure some way. I am talking today with Dr. Alexandra Solomon about pleasure and how we can embrace the pleasure that we were created to experience. Join me today in the Live Your Why podcast. Hi, this is Tammy Hill, and this is the Live Your Why podcast. Today, I am so honored to introduce to you Dr. Alexandra Solomon. She has written uh, several books, and she has a brand new book out called Love Every Day. I've read her book, Taking Sexy Back, and I really, really appreciated it for women in particular in getting in touch with their sexuality. And today, I've asked Dr. Solomon to come on and visit with us about pleasure and particularly sexual pleasure. Welcome, Dr. Solomon. We're so glad that you're here. I'm so glad to be here with you, Tammy. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would. What led you to study sexual psychology? Yeah. So I have been a licensed clinical psychologist for well over 20 years at this point, and I've always had a specialty in couples and relationships. And I move between academic psychology. I uh, trained marriage and family therapists for many years in graduate school, graduate students. And I continue to teach an undergraduate relationship and sexuality education class called Marriage 101 at Northwestern University. And I've been in practice for many years. And I've also been translate sort of a, a woman on the bridge, you know, translating what happened happens in academia, what happens in therapist's office into tools for the general public. And that, you know, shows up on my social media feed, in my self-help books, in my podcast called Reimagining Love. And, you know, I think that as what I was, what, what drew me towards studying sexuality is first and foremost, my awareness that I was not trained in sexuality, mm-hmm. that I was trained to work with couples. But my training around sexuality kind of began and ended with this idea that if you help couples communicate better, the sex will improve. And what happens inside the bedroom is a reflection of what happens outside the bedroom. So you don't need to talk about sex. You just need to talk about everything else. And I think that really, even though I was trained by the best and brightest minds in the field, I think that really sold me short and, and really uh, left me pretty ill-prepared 
not only to work with my couples, but also to work with college students, you know, because then I became aware of how incredibly inadequate sex education is here in the U.S. So I really needed to kind of begin my own journey for myself, for my students, for my clients. And that's what what led me to all of this work around sexuality. Mm -hmm. I just think there's so many things of your story that are similar to my own of taking things from academics to teaching, Mm -hmm. education, and then saying, we've got to make this um, knowledge available to everyone and do it in a way that they understand what it what to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I love what mm-hmm. you're doing. Did you find something similar in your training? In totally. Your graduate training that there was. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. it was. I had we had uh, other than becoming a certified sexual educator through ASEC, I didn't have only one class on sexuality in my graduate work. And it was largely your experience that if we worked on emotional connection, everything else would be okay. And that emotional connection certainly is very a big part of it, but it certainly isn't all of it. So, yeah, I think you do a lot of important work. And tell us a little bit about your new book and what inspired you to write this particular one. Yeah. So Love Every Day is my third book and it's different. You know, the first two books, uh, Loving Bravely and Taking Sexy Back are more traditional chapter books. And Love Every Day is a year, a, a 365, like a one a day book. And I've always loved that format of books. I think it's sort of a generous, you know, a generous offering that an, that an author makes to give a reader just a little something, something for every day. And it, it suited me because I've been writing these sort of micro essays for Instagram for many years now. And so, you know, for as much as I appreciate the place of social media, it's pretty ethereal. You know, a a post pops up on your screen and then it's gone. You can't find it. So I've gotten so many messages over the years of people like, can you just please put these into a book for us? And so it was a really wonderful project to partner with a publishing company that I love and respect and to pull together some of my favorite reflections on love into something that is, you know, pretty dose, you know, micro-dosed for individuals and for couples. And so that's how you use Love Every Day is just, you know, pick it up, put it down when you feel like you need just that little adjustment of how do you want to show up today for yourself, for your partner, for your family. And it's been really fun to have it out in the world. That sounds perfect and so practical. And it's Mm -hmm. not going to get lost on your, as you're scrolling, it's going to be right there that you can see. So I love that. What a great idea. So as a sex therapist and an educator, I am definitely an advocate for healthy, pleasurable sex. And if you Mm -hmm. could wave a magic wand, Alexandra, I wonder, what would you want two or three most important things regarding relational sexuality? What would you hope that people would pick up and learn quickly? Mm, okay, well, I want to hear yours as well. <laughs> I, think that, I think that one of mine, I think the, the, the sort of top one is, would be specifically for heterosexual couples, which is where we see the orgasm gap playing mm-hmm. out most mm-hmm. seriously. That when you have, when you have a vulva bodied person and a penis bodied person, you know, together sexually, the chances of them really, really prioritizing penetration are going to be very high, right? That even the language, the idea of foreplay, foreplay is just the precursor. It's just there to warm the bodies up and get them ready for the real deal, which is penetration. And what all the research shows us is that really, especially, I mean, it sells the female partner short because it's, it's not a particularly reliable route to orgasm. 
but then it therefore sells a male partner short because it 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 sort of deprives him of of the ability to feel really empowered as a partner. Like I think unless people have developed clitoracy, which I love mm-hmm. our, our colleague, Dr. Lori Mintz, mm-hmm. you know, using the word clitoracy and her becoming clitorate is the title of her book. And that's just such a beautiful way of saying that. We have to really understand, especially women's bodies um, because we're, I, I mean, I certainly did not learn that growing up. I probably in sex ed saw a diagram that showed me what my reproductive organs were, but I certainly was never taught about the clitoris and sort of how, you know, how pleasure really needs to integrate that part of our bodies. And so that would be probably my first and foremost. But tell me what would be what I, would be top of your I list? think we're along the same lines. I am passionate about helping women understand and men understand all the capacity there is for feminine pleasure and mm. um, understanding the G zone, understanding the whole clitoral complex and and women understanding that they can learn about their own bodies. Because I am largely teaching and working in a very Christian, conservative Christian environment, self-touch is really not encouraged. And yet when you're wanting to understand pleasure, a lot of times it requires you to feel and touch and learn yourself what it is that you need. So then you can help your partner help you, right? And so Mm. the freedom for... Um, learning about your bodies and embracing the goodness of sexual pleasure, I think would be kind of right there at the top for me. I really like how you are. I think that there, I can, I mean, I'm, I don't work in a Christian context, but I, I'm aware of the amount of kind of shame and, and ways in which self-pleasure is, you know, seen as forbidden or less than, or, and I like how you like really seamlessly tie together self-pleasure and relational sexuality mm-hmm. that how can, I mean, especially somebody who did not grow, if you're, if your partner, you know, has a different body than you, does not totally. have the same anatomy than you, how can that person understand your body? And so unless you can become an advocate for yourself, so the self pleasure, I feel I, I'm hearing you pair self-pleasure in the service of really healthy, robust, pleasure-filled relational sexuality. So it is a it is a means to an end. Right. It is not sort of an end unto itself. And so maybe that kind of like helps us soften some of the shame or forbiddenness around self-pleasure. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Those I really feel passionate about that. And on your Taking Sexy Back book, I really appreciated the focus on women understanding their sexuality and that I guess I'm just wanting to empower women to mm-hmm. who often feel like they're weaker or they're broken because they take so much longer to climax than men or they that somehow they're lesser sexually and mm-hmm. that simply isn't true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's certainly convenient, though. It keeps, <laughs> you know, it doesn't. It kind of keeps the status quo in place. If we believe that women just don't like sex as much as men do, then we keep a lot of uh, systems in order, right? It is, you know, when, once we start, if we talk about right, women's desire as being robust and strong, then we've got to start to look at sex a bit differently. And um, and I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's it is it's just so it's so complicated. It, there's a lot of on unlearning that needs to happen. But that unlearning also serves men well. Like I was thinking back to your magic wand question. I think I also would want men to start to see their sexuality as more interesting and more diverse than just getting hard and penetrating and getting off. I think we sell men short too, especially, you know, a lot of my clients are midlife men where having a robust 
reliable erection is not, you know, it becomes more difficult with age for many men. And so that doesn't mean they're less sexual. In fact, it can be a really cool opportunity for them to expand their own experiences of how do I like to be touched and how else can I give pleasure to my partner, you know, if I don't have this you know, sort of reliable, robust erection. Like who else do I get to be? A man doesn't become less sexual just when he's, you know, when he's got some struggles around ED or, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's, there's lessons for sure for all of us. And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when we look at women's, the research does show that women do struggle with on low, low libido more frequently than men. But it's sort of like, do women have, is it inherently less libido or is it less libido for sex that just doesn't feel that good? Sex that is painful. The research also shows that women are far more likely than men to be enduring painful sex. And we're not having nearly enough conversation about, you know, vaginal pain and how to work with that and how women don't, you know, I think there's so much of being a woman that's about just suffering through Mm -hmm. and pain being normative that um, really does not serve us in the bedroom. Yes. I I couldn't have said that better. I really appreciate what you said about men, or particularly as they get into maybe some what they consider real sexual dysfunction, which is actually pretty normal um, as Mm. you age and maybe as your health changes a little. But also the idea that you should just suffer through it for women, and maybe they're just not having good sex. That is one of the questions I often ask couples when they see me in therapy is, if she's the low desire or she feels like she's low desire and he's always high desire, and this balancing act that goes, I just say, well, what do you need? Do you need to have good sex in order to want it more? And what do we need to figure out how to do that for you? That really helps both of them get on board. I think in that, I think from that play, I think that's, that's your spot on with like that question for a couple. And from that place, I think there's oftentimes a lot of collective grieving that needs to happen, you know, because it's, it's oftentimes he, if he has participated in sex that has been painful for her, I think he, that can stir up a lot of shame and guilt and blame and defensiveness and pulling away and shutting down. And so there has to be this collective grief of neither of us came into this relationship with the tools that we needed. We both were hurting and we didn't have better you know, ways of dealing with it. And now here we are with Tammy having a chance to unlearn and relearn and start to imagine some different ways of being together. But that's not going to happen if we're stuck in like finger pointing and shame and blame. But that's really, really, that can be so hard for Mm -hmm. couples. Mm -hmm. Oh, you have such a compassionate heart. I'm sure your clients really (laughs) appreciate you. So good. So I'm curious. I wonder if you have some suggestions for husbands and wives about how they can best communicate around their sexuality particularly, I guess, when it comes around desire differences. I like what you just said about, you know, we need to unlearn some things and have compassion for our past and dive in and learn something new. Any other thoughts about how we can talk about this without the defensiveness creeping in? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not easy, right? I think that I don't know how many of us got a sex education sex education that included sexual communication, you know, besides like how to say, maybe some of us got consent education about how to say no, which is certainly essential, but 
quite different than how do we communicate about what we want. So I think that there's, I want to normalize blushing. I want to normalize stammering, you know, and I think there are ways that couples kind of come up with strategies for that. I think it can be, sometimes couples will email back and forth or write notes back and forth because maybe it's easier to write something than to say it out loud. I think couples maybe find it helpful. I, I really like couples to be thoughtful about the context. These conversations sometimes are really difficult to have in the bedroom. Although maybe sometimes like after a sexual experience, that can be, I think, you know, having a sexual experience together can sort of bring people's defenses down and create a sense of closeness that maybe then opens the door to talking about what we just did and what we might want to do next time. But I also like for couples to think about like, is it on a walk perhaps that it's easier to talk about sex? Is it, you know, in the tub? Is it like sort of what is what is the setting? I think that we sometimes expect that we ought to be able to talk about whatever, wherever, whenever. And I don't think that's true. I think we need context that helps us feel soft and gentle and easy and curious with each other. And I think that sometimes, you know, I think there are times when the higher desire partner maybe is saying to the lower desire partner, just tell me what you want. Tell me what you want. I'll do whatever you want. You know, and they get the sort of deer in the headlights look back because the lower desire partner really may not know what feels good or what would feel good. And I love... I think this is why I've always loved Sensate Focus, which is one of the foundational practices in sex therapy. And I love that our colleagues, Dr. Lauren Fogel-Mercy and Jennifer Venzel, just published a wonderful book called Desire. And in that book, they have provided lovely, lovely, inclusive, gender expansive instructions for Sensate Focus, which is just a practice of taking turns touching and being touched. And I think that's oftentimes where this starts is just being near your partner, receiving touch and figuring out what do you want more of? What do you want less of? Tracking what's happening inside your body. So it really becomes this like ritual or practice that the two of you can develop together. So it may be, I guess my, this is a long way of saying that it's conversation, but it's also behavior, right? Sometimes it's easier to show your partner something than to mm. say something to your partner. That's so true. I, I appreciate you saying that. And I have ordered that book. It hasn't gotten here yet, the Desire book. But You're going to um, love it. I'm You're excited it. for it. And I mm -hmm. was going to tell you that Laurie Mintz, I interviewed with her a few weeks ago for the podcast, and we're talking about clitoracy. And, and so that's so fun that you get to know her as well. So, yes, yeah, they're both. We have wonderful they're, people. All three of them are wonderful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When we are talking about pleasure, because this is what I want to really focus the bulk of our conversation on, I think there are a lot of people that get uncomfortable with the idea of pleasure, that they have to earn pleasure somehow or be worthy of pleasure in some way. And I wondered if you could speak to that idea a little. Yeah. I think, well, you tell me what you think, but I think that women in our culture are, generally speaking, have a pretty fraught relationship with pleasure. I think many of us grow up in homes where we saw our moms busy and exhausted all the time. I grew up, my mom was a teacher and I, when I was a kid, I mean, I, she would work all day, come home, make an entire meal for the four of us without much or any help from my stepdad. And then she would clean up the kitchen and then she would sit down on the couch and she would grade papers until she went to bed. Like that was all I saw her 
do really. And so I don't, I don't know that I really had models for pleasure and rest. I think that we are, women are praised for the degree to which they are busy and they often are shouldering the bulk of domestic labor while oftentimes having, you know, paid work outside of the home. And, and then around our bodies, we're taught that like a pleasure, I oftentimes go to food and appetite. And I think that we're taught from a very early age to restrict, to restrict our pleasure, to be really cautious around foods that are pleasurable and to not be greedy and to not enjoy eating too much. So it's like we're taught all these ways in which we ought to restrict what feels good and we ought to just perform and do and do and do. And then, of course, when we think about perform, you know, sex has been long, 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 long taught to us as a duty or a responsibility, something we have to give to our, especially if we have a husband, our male partner, that we have to perform that or provide that. And so that idea of performing and providing is the opposite of pleasure. So I think we come by women, women come by a complicated relationship with pleasure, pretty understandably, and from lots and lots of sources. Mm-hmm. Your poor mom, my bless her heart. <laughs> so then you have, okay, so there's this restrictive pleasure. And then we have, you know, a hedonistic idea that it, we're all in this for whatever feels good and not having much moral responsibility mm-hmm. associated with that. Tell me, how do we come to a balance between these two ends of the spectrum associated with pleasure? Right. Right. I think about, I think about that a lot too, because there's, you know, we're, it's really exciting. I think we're in an exciting moment around sex positivity and trying to kind of undo some of the sexual shame and sex negative ideas that we grew up with. And so I see this a lot with my, with my younger students, right? There's a lot of, a lot more kind of reclamation of, of being sexual. But I think sometimes that gets a little bit muddied then, especially for women with performance, like being able to to be, you know, up for anything, being able to be pretty carefree. And that then we're sort of like redoing, we're doing, rather than it's sort of sex as duty, sort of like laying there, you know, and just being a duty to your husband. Now it is sort of a lot of performance and what, you know, what you can do and what you're up for doing, which is again, really different than being being sexual, right? Being being sexual and co-creating with a partner, mm-hmm. something that that moves between the two of you and where whatever element is performative or it's like, you know, I want you to watch me. I want you to celebrate what I'm doing is is from a place of you watching me turns me on as much as it turns you on. You know, that it's like, can she stay embodied in her performance or her expression, however that's coming forward. And it's a, it's a very tall order. That's a very tall yes. order to be, to be moving and present, aware of your partner's response to you while aware of your own. So I think this is why there's got to be like a foundation of safety and trust between you and your partner where you can be like, okay, I gotta pause, catch my breath, reset because I'm, you know, I'm getting self-conscious or I'm losing my focus or, you know, whatever it is, because I think there are these like edges that can be really fun to play with around being seen, around expressing yourself, but it's really important to be able to stay present within our bodies. A hundred percent. That trust is important. And staying present in your bodies, let's speak to that for a moment. Does does that require like mindfulness practice in order to do that? Or how do you see people being able to stay present, ex- not only sharing pleasure with their partner, but also engrossed in feeling their pleasure at the same time? 
Yeah. You know, I think a lot of us have a journey with sexuality. Maybe this is not true for the students that you work with, but certainly the college students I work with, a lot of them haven't had sober sexual experiences. Mm. You know, they just have sex, sexual experiences and alcohol or weed or whatever have been paired for a very, very, very long time. So the first sort of mindfulness practice might be sober sexual experiences. Mm-hmm. And that might actually be a growing edge that takes a really freaking long time because if you're only, you know, if, and I think that some, I think we, I think that we come into sex with some amount of dissociative element, whether it's alcohol or just kind of spacing out because of shame oftentimes, you know, or because of pressure that I ought to be able to do this. And so we kind of exit our bodies to make something okay that maybe doesn't feel so okay. So the first layer of mindfulness might just be starting to like kind of touch what it's what it's like to be sober and here with a partner or sober and here with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah. And then, so then it may, you know, fast forward, it may be that for a lot of women, especially mindfulness is coming, stepping away from some self-consciousness about body. Mm-hmm. You know, some of us get lost in thoughts about how does my stomach look right now or how do my thighs look or what's my face doing? Or, you know, some of that self-consciousness about what our bodies are doing, what the sex therapist calls spectatoring, where mm-hmm. we're sort of seeing ourselves from the outside. And then can can one notice that they're doing that and then take a breath and just come back into sensation. What do I feel mm-hmm. in my body? But what are some of your thoughts around, yeah. I mean, we know mindful, you know, Lori, Dr. Lori Brado's research on this is clear that when you teach women mindfulness practices of how to stay with sensation inside of your body, women are more likely to have higher desire. They lubricate more quickly. They have more orgasms. They have more, you know, it's like her findings like are off the charts. They incredible are. around how important mindfulness is. Monumental. I, I love her work as well. I think for me, I, I do. I will ha- I'll ask my clients to just breathe for a minute because breath kind of brings the mind fully present. It helps you come inward and to breathe and to tune in to like do a little body scan in their mind of what are they feeling? Where, how does it feel good? How does it not feel as good? Or where would you like to be touched next and kind of just to scan their bodies and then be able to try to either guide their partner to where they're wanting more or be able to verbally express, oh, I, I, if I'd like this, you know, kind of like we do with the sensate focus exercises somewhat. But I think body scanning and breathing are essential for being able to stay tuned into our own sensations regarding sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And and those practices, I think, sometimes need to start outside of the bedroom, right? Like to, to learn how to scan your body, to learn what happens inside of you when you take that grounding breath. It's much easier to do that outside of the bedroom, outside of a sexual moment with your partner and kind of learn what those practices feel like and then bring them in to the bedroom. Good. Good comment. I agree. So because, you know, I deal largely with a, a Christian population and many of the my followers and listeners are mothers. And I in your research, why do you think it's so challenging for religious women, particularly mothers, to relax into the idea that it's okay to initiate healthy sexuality and to receive sexual pleasure? Do you find in general that women who are religious or not, but who are mothers tend to have a more of a discomfort with receiving pleasure and giving pleasure? Mm, Yeah, I think it's some of the stuff we were saying before about, you know, good mothers are there to 
serve other people. And I also, I think it's, I think it's really so much of it also depends on having a, a, a partner, especially if it's a male partner, a husband who, who really understands this, right? Who is also doing his own work to shed patriarchal notions of what he is entitled to or the sort of Madonna whore dichotomy stuff that he grew up with. Cause it's not just, you know, it's not just women who are taught that you're either a good girl or you're a slut. It's men who are taught there are good girls and there are sluts. There are girls you take home to mom and girls who don't take home to mom. And mm-hmm. so he may have to, he may have his own reactivity to his wife's you know, sexual appetite or her desire for to receive oral sex, maybe for the first time, he may have his own activations or, you know, um, whatever judgments that he needs to also be working through. And so I think that's really important that we keep that context there as well as that, we you know, we, we socialize men alongside, I mean, I think in, in a Christian context, my sense is that girl, girls and boys are both taught that Girls are are there to tempt, right? That that's why girls need to dress modestly. To tempt. So I think that you know, guy, boys and men are taught that their sexuality is unpredictable and out of control and has to be managed by women. So I think there's, you know, I think this is like a group effort for sure. Yes. Um. Yeah. And and so I love the idea of him him really positioning himself as being of service to her, you know, that, that this is not, it's not that she's performing a duty to him. Maybe he's of service to her. She's had a very long day taking care of these kids and how can he help her feel good? You know, and he's going to feel good along the way. We know that from research around male sexuality, one of the biggest turn-ons for men is their partner being turned on. And I think that's, you know, I think that that's something important to, to remember. Mm-hmm. I think that says so much for men too, that one of their biggest turns on, turn-ons is providing pleasure for their partner, right? I think that is just so beautiful. A lot of men don't, a lot of times social society says men are takers, but that research says, no, they want to give and want their wives to receive on the other end. A hundred, a hundred percent. Right. It is truly, it is truly an example of a Mm win-win. You know, it really is as a couple is able to make that shift. Yeah. I think that men's sexuality is profoundly relational profoundly relational. And in men, I mean, I'm sure you would say the same thing, but the thing I the thing I have been struck by over my many, many years of doing couples therapy is how much men anchor their sense of self-worth and okayness mm. by the way that he looks in her eyes, the way that she gazes upon him. It is crushing. I've, I've watched over and over again how crushed men tend to feel when they sense her disappointment, her frustration. And that ends up being a pressure cooker for women, right? Because then women are like, I have to be happy, happy. Otherwise, not only am I going to be upset, but he's upset. And then we're off to the races. So I'm not saying, I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying it's incredibly real. I watch the husbands in my practice watch their wives' faces, you know? And so I think that's that's also true mm-hmm. around sexuality, that it is... Um, in closing this orgasm gap, helping women, you know, be able to experience more pleasure helps men get the thing that they want too, which is to feel efficacious, you know, about themselves as lovers, that they're able to be good providers of pleasure. I love that. Providers of pleasure. So great. So I have a group of, we call ourselves the TTT, Too Tired Tonight Club. And it's a group of women, (laughs) mostly mothers, who... May I join? (laughs) You bet. You would be our star member. But we, we have these meetings once a month, a little bit about, you know, some interventions on how to 
you know, not be so tired, to want to save some energy to share this way in giving and receiving sexually. And it doesn't necessarily always need to include intercourse at all. So I'm curious, I'm I'm wondering, what would you say to a TTT club if you came to our group meeting and were our guest speaker? What would you tell these ladies? I can totally imagine you guys, you ladies, on a group text of like, okay, I'm doing it tonight. I'm keeping my energy up. And then the lady saying like, okay, you got it, girl. You get it. Like, I know that's something that my girlfriends and I joke about too. Like, I think there's something very powerful about like tapping into the collective your collective women community and being like, all right, ladies, come on, we're making it happen. I think that's there's something that's so, I haven't thought about it quite this way. I just know it to be true for me that, and for the women that I know, something about kind of like, maybe it's just simply feeling a sense of kinship that this is, I'm not the only one who struggles in this way. And a little bit, maybe a little bit of accountability, like, okay, it's on tonight. It's on, I'm doing it. <laughs> that there's, so I think there's something like so playful and lovely about women supporting each other. Just, just merely that, right? Regardless of what we might say about, you know, technique or tips or mindfulness, just this, having that sense of like, you're not the only one who struggles with this. I think that sometimes is a nice little libido booster. I agree. What a fun idea. I'm going to use that and try to see what we can do with the big group text. That would be fun. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) what ideas do you have to help lovers appropriately ask for more pleasure in their sexual experiences? If you're wanting to receive more pleasure, and I know we talked about communication a little bit earlier, maybe going for a walk in the tub, having it soft and gentle. Are there any other ideas you have about specifically asking for, I want more pleasure? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I know one thing that I um, heard Dr. Tammy Nelson say years ago is, you know, rather than saying, don't go left, say, I love it when you go right. You know, focusing on like building what you, like, I think because we are, I think we're all sensitive to criticism, in any context, but especially Mm -hmm. feeling criticized around sex. It's just so painful because it's so vulnerable. It's so naked, you know, emotionally and literally that just, I think that's, that would be the probably most important thing is to, is to figure out how can you ask in a way that is, that is positive. I love you. I love us. I love what we're doing. I have kind of a like funky idea. What do you think of this? You know, kind of building on something that is, positive rather than you don't, why don't you, you know, I think that's, that is going to be a road to defensiveness and, and distance. So Mm -hmm. I think that would be, that's one that's really important. Yeah. And just the idea, I think the most important element, especially when we're talking about like a long-term sexually monogamous couple is just a spirit of curiosity. I have no idea how this is going to go, but I you know ordered this toy from Dame. Like, what do you think about us just giving it a try? We don't have any idea how it's how something's going to go when we're asking for something new or kind of wanting to play with an edge. So it has to be done with that spirit of curiosity. The stakes are very very low. This does not define us. We may end up cracking up and being like, "What the hell are we thinking?" Or maybe like, "Holy crap, we've got something really fun we can you know integrate now." 
But what are you, so, yeah, tell me how that lands for I you. I love it. I love the positivity and the idea of curiosity is so good. I do always, well, I'm getting ready for it right now. Every year I do a holiday couples retreat at a beautiful hotel. And one of the things I have is a sexual a holiday fantasy date that I prepare for them to kind of go out in the city and be themselves, but they're really acting like different people and and then meeting somewhere, a first kiss and all this fun little things that they get to <laughs> do. It. it is so much fun. And for Aww. me, I think asking for pleasure is saying, ah, I want to play. I just want to play with you. Let's, And that can be with mm-hmm. a toy. It can be with just anything really. But I think some of the fun things for me is a little bit of the novelty can add. And you don't know how it's going to end. And it might push you a little bit. The tension might really stretch you. But I've always found when you get stretched that typically on the other side, you've grown and you have a greater capacity to feel and enjoy each other when you put yourself in those situations. I can just imagine you with these couples and bringing, like, I think that sometimes, sometimes the, the only thing that a couple needs to unlock a little bit of playful energy is permission from somebody else. I can just totally imagine you giving these couples permission. Okay, you guys, you're out in the city, you're not yourselves, like go and play and then come back and let's talk about, you know, I think I can just totally see that happening and that that's, and that that like kind of permission from the outside, you know, somebody who's, who's able to be fun and light, you know, as a, as a guide or as an, you know, giving this offering. I think it's so beautiful. I love all those, those tools, you know, the, the, the date book where you pull out a date and you just try something, you know, mm-hmm. just have it like triangulating in another resource because a, a marriage, a long marriage, it's a heavy thing. You know, it's a heavy thing for two people. So bringing in something like Tammy's, you know, couples retreat and, um, or a book, whatever that is, can just be like, okay, all right, we can play a little bit. We can step out of these roles. And I think sometimes sex feels heavy because we've been taught the stakes are high. We've been taught this is sort of make or break. And especially for a long-term couple, sex has got to be light and low stakes and a chance to be playful together. Um, and that can, and that's the best case scenario, right? It's mm-hmm. sort of an antidote to mm-hmm. the difficult work of parenting and working and all of this. 100%. So I published a book this year called Replenish. And what you're saying is replenishing to me that kind of defining what I have my book written about, that this replenishes you so that you can go about doing the labor of family life, which is a lot Mm. of hard work. And um, Mm -hmm. so I love what you're saying. So kind of as we wrap up today, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about how we can uh, find you. We talked a little bit about your books, but any other ways that people can get a hold of you? Because I've been a fan of yours for quite a while, and I'm just so excited that you would join me on the podcast so others can get to know you. Well, thank you. I The best way to get to know me is from my website, dralexandrasolomon.com. And there you will find the whole ecosystem. There's um, links to the podcast, which is a weekly weekly podcast called Reimagining Love. We are just about 100 episodes in, similar to you, where we must have started our shows at similar times. Mm-hmm. And links to, the, to all three of the books and to my social media feeds. I'm active on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. And I've got e-courses. I have a course for couples who are at the crossroads post-infidelity and trying to figure out whether or not to rebuild or to part ways. And then um, my Marriage 101 
course, my college course, I've turned into a big comprehensive e-course for individuals and, and couples called Intimate Relationships 101. And uh, yeah, blog articles, all of the things, quizzes. <laughs> so Dr. Alexander Solomon, the, the website is the best place to start. Oh, good. Well, we'll send people there. So this is the Live Your Why podcast, and I always like to invite my guests to share a little bit about their why with my audience. And so Dr. Alexandra Solomon, can you share with us your why? I'm about... Well, one thing I'm about is not being afraid of hard work. I'm, I'm, I am passionate about the work that I get to do. I tend to not be afraid of, you know, talking about hard things or tackling difficult work. So I think that's my why. But I think my, my, my why is, is relationships. I think about my, my best girlfriends that I've had since I was five and 10 years old, my marriage that I've been in for over a quarter of a century, the family that we've raised. So I think it all, you know, comes back to that. I'm, I'm entering a chapter, I don't know where you are in this chapter, but I'm entering a chapter of caring for aging parents and a, a sick parent, you know, and so just that I think everything I do ends up coming back to the relationships that I'm in and the the pride that I have for the work I've done on myself that, you know, allows me to show up in ways that I can not always feel good about, but certainly feel, you know, that I'm aware that my hard work on myself, sitting, sitting my booty week after week, year after year in a therapist's office and doing my own healing so that I can show up as my most authentic, available self, I think probably is, is my why. Mm. I love that. And you definitely do show up authentically. You are brave. You're courageous. I see your your zest for life. And I love the tenderness that you speak about your relationships. You're really a beautiful person. Thank you, Tammy. It's been such a treat to be with you. You know I want to come to your retreat now and have you send send my husband and I off in the city to have a first kiss. Okay, we'll do it. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tammy. 